Welcome to Breitbart News Daily. Thanks for being here. We talked with Professor William Jacobson from Legal Insurrection. He's great. Love him. Talked about how the, the craziness on college campuses. Um, and he had some great insight. Being a conservative professor at an Ivy League school, uh, he's great. So we talked to him. That is available on the SiriusXM app. But I want to present here the opening segment of the show. Why do people hate the Jews? This, <laughs> listen, this show is very weird. The, like... Uh, I'm pretty sure every radio consultant would say, Slater, how about at 5 o'clock in the morning, Central Time, you do something other than why people hate the Jews. That's maybe not like like first thing in the morning, wake up material, uh, but we do it. So here it is. See what you think. Here's what I'm doing in this segment. I want to answer the question, why do people hate the Jews? Isn't that interesting? Like, why, why is that? Around the world for all time, there's no, been no more persecuted minority than the Jews. There have been other persecuted minorities, of course, but none more than the Jews. What gives? Why? What's going on? So I'll give what I think the real reason is, the, the main reason. But there's a lot of other theories, and eh, some all play roles. Thomas Sowell, he, go, he goes with the economic reason. He says Jews have succeeded in places where other people have not, and therefore there's resentment there. He said he was talking to a rabbi once, and the rabbi asked him what Jews would need to do in order to not be hated so much. And Thomas Sowell gave him one word. Fail. There's a term called middle men minority. These are groups of people who live in a far off country. So they're a minority. But they serve as an intermediary between two groups of people in that country they're in. So they're a minority and they're a middleman. And there's actually lots of examples of these. There's, uh, and this is why I love Thomas Sowell so much. He does these cross-cultural analyses. It's brilliant. There's uh, a community of Jewish people in South America. Uh, history of Chinese people in different Southeast Asian countries. Indians in East Africa. Armenians during the Ottoman Empire, all these different groups of people, and a lot of them served as middlemen minorities. Now, Jews are the most prominent middlemen minority wherever they've ever been, to the point where middlemen minorities all over the world have been known as the Jews of wherever. So the Lebanese were known as the Jews of West Africa. The Parsis were known as the Jews of India. So the, clearly they're the most prominent of the middlemen minorities. So they're the economic go-between between two different groups of people who, for whatever reason, don't like each other. And then Jews would come in and fill that void. Other people have too, but Jews would do it. So there's risks to this. First is, if one group charges higher prices, it's the middleman who gets blamed for it. The Jews get blamed. So if rents go up, the Jews get blamed. The middleman gets blamed. Second risk, the middleman is seen as someone who isn't doing anything. They're not working hard. They're not farming. They're not toiling in the fields. They're not creating. They're not working in factories. They're not producing anything with a tangible output. The Jewish person is this middleman between the Polish landlords and the peasants and rents going up. Why is the Jew raising my rent and he's not even doing anything? He's to blame for all my problems. They make money off our backs without working hard themselves. And this builds resentment. Third reason. The Thomas Sowell, this is the Thomas Sowell economic argument for why people hate the Jews and always have everywhere. 
Jews often, when they come into a place, they come dirt poor. They have in the past. Just abject dirt poor. In 1908, Jews in New York City slept five people a room. That was, that was the average uh, density, if you will. Very poor. So how did they rise up? Well, they had a culture. Ding, ding, ding. The keyword of the Breitbart News Daily with Mike Slater show. They had a culture. They have a culture of wanting their children to succeed. They have a culture of working hard. Not just news, Jews. Koreans in Atlanta average 63 hours a week uh, a work. And 20% of Koreans in Atlanta work over 80 hours a week. Okay, So it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Whatever culture you are, if you work that long, you're going to do well economically. Jews have a culture of uh, wanting their children to succeed, working hard, saving money, and, and perhaps most damaging, keeping, uh, keeping their families separate from the dominant culture of the area, which can cause them to then be perceived as clannish. And this has been an, uh, an accusation not just against Jewish people, uh, but other middlemen minorities around the world. Oh, these Armenians, they're not, uh, they're not assimilating, right? They keep to themselves, and that can be problematic. They also have a culture of uh, kids getting involved in the family business. Kids learn the trade from a young age, and this was true Jews in America, Lebanese in Sierra Leone, Koreans, wherever, again, right? So, so, and that ties into this keeping to themselves idea. So you have all these econ- so economic, cultural things that would occur from the middleman minority that would build resentment and it, and it caused them to be successful and their kids would be more successful and that breeds resentment. Let me play a clip here from uh, Thomas Sowell. And I think the answer is that um, they, not, they not only succeed, they succeed in a way which is the threat to the egos of other people. That is, no, 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 you can envy a Rockefeller, but he's no threat to your ego because you say, listen, anybody can be rich if he's born a Rockefeller. But the guy who c- comes here, let's say from Vietnam or Korea, and arrives here with little more than the clothes on his back and a few wor- broken words of broken English, uh, and a decade later he has his own little business, and you see his son a few years after that getting ready to go off to Harvard or MIT, you've got to ask yourself, you've either got to, you know, you, you, you've got to hate yourself for saying, my God, I've, I've been stagnating, this guy was nothing, and now he's risen up, or you're going to have to hate him. And most people, when they have a choice between hating others and hating themselves, they hate others. <laughs> Such a good line. Most people, when, when given a choice to hate themselves or hate others, will hate others. So if you have a choice to hate yourself or question yourself or, or take stock of yourself or hate that guy who's succeeding, you're going to hate you're gonna hate the Jews. Amazing. Never underestimate what people will do when their egos are threatened. And then how people can use a group of people as a scapegoat for all their problems. And people get a lot of power. People get a lot of power by, by calling a group of scapegoats, uh, what are parasites or bloodsuckers and all the rest, to explain why you're not doing well in life and they are. They're doing well because they're bloodsuckers and you're, that's why you're not doing well. But they, right, that's so easy. That's such an easy game. But it's because it's hard to self-reflect. It's hard to look at a group of people and be like, oh yeah, they're doing they're doing well because they're making good decisions, right? On the education point, when Russia conquered Poland in 1818, 1918, 1818, there was a Russian official who was shocked that almost every person in Poland, every Jew in Poland, excuse me, that almost every Jew in Poland hired a tutor for their kids. And it didn't matter how poor. They were shocked. These Russian officials were shocked that the poorest Jewish girls, the poorest Jewish girls could read, girls could read, and that the poorest families had books. They said at least 10 in every house, every Jewish home. Had, the poorest homes had 10 books. Meanwhile, there were Gentiles down the street. They said who many only recently even heard of the alphabet. 
Can you imagine? They never even heard of the alpha alphabet. What's an alpha? Oh, the the funny picture things. Yeah, I've heard of that. I don't I know what that is, <laughs> right? What do you mean? How can you have a people over there who have? Well, I mean, we're getting to that point, right? So many kids in our schools today who can't read. Maybe we should be uh, grateful that they've even heard of the alphabet. But you have some people over here who've never heard of it, who've only recently heard of the alphabet, and then you have purple there, and they're dirt poor. They're all poor. But one values education, one doesn't. It's that simple. One Jewish person was asked why Jews score so well in the SAT, and the person said they've been, pre- they've been preparing for it for a 1,000 years. So that's part of the economic argument for why Jews have been so hated in history. They've been successful, and it's an easy scapegoat. And you can just look at the piece of land itself. Look at, look at Israel. When the Jews, and look at what they've done to Israel, what they've made Israel. When Jews f- most recently first came back to the land, there was a, uh, a modern wave of, of Jewish people returning and moving into the, the region, what was then controlled by the Ottoman Empire. This was in uh, 1881. It's called the First uh, Arya. First, what's it called? Arya, 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 uh, Alia, Alia, thank you, Alia, First Alia. Uh, means like farming or something. So it's the first wave. So it's in 1881. This land is controlled by the Ottoman Empire. They took it over in 1500 until World War I. So the Jews enter, and there's nothing, there's nothing there. There's nothing there. It's a desert wasteland. And these are mostly, uh, at first they were Jews from Yemen who came in. Uh, and again, this, this is a modern, right? obviously there would have been Jews over thousands of years. Uh, but they've been kicked out because Muslims came in all the way. So uh, 1881, these Jews come in mostly from Yemen and then a bunch from Eastern Europe. Uh, 25,000. It's believed. So Mark Twain visited this area about 20 years before. Mark Twain. Our Mark Twain. Here's what he said. He said, there's not a solitary village throughout its whole extent. Not for 30 miles in either direction. There are two or three small clusters of Bedouin tents, but not a single permanent habitation. One may ride 10 miles hereabouts and not see 10 human beings. Come to Galilee for that. These unpeopled deserts, these rusty mounds of barrenness that never, never, never do shake the glare from their harsh outlines and fade and faint into vague perspectives. That melancholy ruin of Capernaum, this stupid village of Tiberias slumbering under its six funeral palms. We reached Tabor safely. We never saw a human being on the whole route. Nazareth is forlorn. Jericho, the accursed lies, is a uh, uh, Jericho the Accursed lies in a moldering ruin today. Even as Joshua's miracle left it more than 3,000 years ago, Bethlehem and Bethany in their poverty and their humiliation have nothing about them now to remind one that they once knew the high honor of the Savior's presence. This is 1857, I think. The hollowed spot where the shepherds watched their flocks by night and where the angels sang peace on earth, goodwill to men, it's unten- untenanted by any living creature. Bethesda and Chorzin, have vanished from the earth and the desert places round about them where thousands of men once listened to the Savior's voice and ate the miraculous bread, sleep in the hush of a solitude that is inhabited only by birds of prey and skulking foxes. So that's Mark Twain describing the landscape. There's nothing there. So the Jews came back and they made it a thriving, at first agricultural place, and now it's like nice cities. It's like a first world place. And that ties into the resentment. Even more. But I, so that's the economic argument why people hate the Jews. By the way, the Holocaust killed six million Jews. But that six million number is mostly the nature of better technology. Right? But many other places around the world would have done the same thing in as high of numbers to Jews if they had the opportunity, if they had the technological ability. And even worse things will be done in the future as technology gets more 
powerful because all all technology does is reflect the wickedness of the human heart. It, do, it doesn't, right? You know what I mean? It's just, it makes us more of who we are. It's the same thing with money. Like as people think about this, like, like money will make you a bad person. It's like, no, you are. <laughs> money just amplifies. It doesn't, it doesn't even amplify it. It reveals. It better, re- like if you came upon a billion dollars, it would reveal your greed and all the rest. It would be re- more revealed than it has in the past. But it doesn't change it. And that's true of technology too. It just reveals more of who we are. And that's not good. So what of this hatred? Eric Hoffer, he wrote a book called The True Believer, Thoughts on the Nature of Mass Movements. He said when Hitler was asked whether he thought the Jew must be destroyed, Hitler said, no. I don't want, we don't want to destroy the Jew. Because then we would have to invent him. It's essential to have a tangible enemy, not merely an abstract one. So if we destroy the Jew, then we'll have to like make another kind of Jew. So don't, then we don't want to destroy him. We just, you know, we need enough of them to blame. Hermann Rauschings. He was a member of the Nazi party. He left Germany in 1934, so early on in it all. And he renounced Nazism, moved to America, and he wrote a book called Conversations with Hitler. Maybe you've heard of this book before. Uh, And he made this point. He's quoting Hitler. He says, uh, the goal was to kill the Jews in Germany. But, Hitler said, we cannot rest content with that. It is only the beginning of a merciless struggle for world domination. The struggle for world domination will be fought merely between us, uh, won't be fought merely between us, between Germans and Jews. All else is facade and illusion. Uh, Behind England stands Israel, behind France, and behind the United States. Even when we have driven the Jew out of Germany, he remains our world enemy. And add Germany as another data point of every time Jews are persecuted and kicked out of a place, the economy of that place collapses. And there's never, and this builds into my, my, what I really think is the reason why, when Jews, so this country, uh, the country, uh, for whatever reason, attacks the Jews. Oh, we got to get rid of the Jews. They get rid of the Jews and the economy collapses. And there's never any reflection of, oh, maybe what they were doing was actually valuable. Right? As we were saying before, it's like, oh, we got to get rid of the Jews. They don't do anything. They're just bloodsuckers. They're these middlemen. They don't, they don't work hard. They don't do anything. We got to get rid of them. So they get rid of them, and then the whole, everything collapses. And they're like, ah, oh, sorry. Huh. Like no one, but no one ever thinks that. No one ever is like, oh, maybe, we, maybe the Jews are actually helping to us. But that's the economic argument. I don't, that's part of it. I don't think that's the root of it. I think the root of it is Genesis 12. It's the Abrahamic covenant. I'm not going to go into all of it now. The whole cutting animals in half. Abraham falls asleep. is made to fall asleep. And God walks through it. I'm not going to go through the whole thing. We do on my podcast, Politics by Faith, if you want to get all that. But uh, the Abrahamic Covenant says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse you. which I believe leads to the real reason for the hatred of Jews. The world hates the Jews because the world hates God. The Jews were in a world of polytheism and revealed the monotheistic God, the all-powerful, all-creating monotheistic God, the one. And we live in a polytheistic world today. People worship many gods, starting with themselves. Now, when we, had, when we lived in a polytheistic world, it used to be like fun. <laughs> I wrote it, it was like, oh, we, like, we name the gods and they have personalities and they're all like super weird, but we have, like, like, they're like terrible people, like, like Zeus and Hermes, but like we name them and we come up with funny stories for people. We don't even do that today in our polytheistic world. We just worship things. <laughs> right? We just worship football and money and ourselves we just have we have these different gods but we don't even have funny names for them or stories but we're worshiping everything and that's why the first commandment is you shall have no other gods 
before me. So the Jews bring in this, this monotheistic God. It changes everything. And Jews are God's chosen people. Deuteronomy 14.2, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God, and the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. So that's it. That's just the reality of it. If you're God's chosen people and the world hates God, who do you think people are going to hate? So I, I appreciate the economic arguments and there's truth to it. I think those are rationalizations. I think those are after-the-fact rationalizations. I think the root of the hatred is we hate God. I think people may not even be able to articulate this, but it's, it's just it. Like it's just Satan. It's just how it works. I, I hate God. Here are God's chosen people. I hate them. It's pretty simple. It's a pretty simple calculus. So I think that's the root of Jew hatred. And even if someone can't articulate it, that's what it is, deep in their heart, deep in their sinful, wicked heart. And then all the economic stuff is rationalization of that. It's like, oh, I hate those people. And you may not know why, but I hate those people. Oh, why do I hate them? Um, oh, because they uh, own the uh, uh, all the banks or whatever. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, I hate them because of the banks. So all that other economic stuff is, is uh, convenient to cling to as you hate and ultimately kill. So that's it. That's why people hate the Jews. Now, the, the next question, which I don't have a full answer to, is why Jews vote for Democrats. Okay. <laughs> now, I can give I got sort of like an ac- academic argument like we just did about why people hate the Jews, uh, an academic and theological argument. Hopefully that was presented uh, well. Uh, why Jews vote for Democrats? Pfft, that one, that one you got me. I asked Alan Dershowitz yesterday on the TV show, who's a Democrat? He's voted Democrat forever. Right? Uh, by the way, if you want to know about the history of Israel in a more modern way, his book, The Case for Israel, is fantastic. Just a couple bucks online. Uh, it lays out, every chapter is, here's a claim from Palestinians or whatever, and then he just debunks it, and it's a great book. Uh, so I said, "Hey, Alan, why do I didn't? I don't think I said Alan. I wasn't that. I think I said Professor. <laughs> it's not like we're pals. Uh, I said, Professor, why do uh, Democrats vote, or why do Jews vote for Democrats?" And he said, "Well, they just have for a long time. <laughs> That's it. That's his answer. They just do. They just have." And it's one of those things, that's just what people do. They, it's why do black people vote for Democrats? They just do. No, no, he had no real answer. Why do, when I was in uh, at a radio show in Tennessee, when I first got to radio, would have been it's like 16 years ago or something, and there were still blue dog Democrats in Tennessee. And... When I moved to Tennessee, I was like, what are you guys doing with a Democrat? What is going on here? Why is John Tanner, this, blue, this Democrat who votes with Nancy Pelosi 98% of the time, why is he the congressman here? And people's answers were like, oh, if, if my, I, I, people said this all the time, if my daddy knew I voted for a Republican, he'd be spinning in his grave. That's, I got that answer all the time. I said, what are you talking about? Like, that's, that, I don't get that answer at all. What do you mean your daddy would be spinning in his grave? Like, first of all, that's not a thing. Like, people don't spin in their graves. And, so stop saying that. Like, stop like having that over you. Like, you can't act. You can't do a thing because you think people are just like would be upset. Like, that, that's not a real thing. So knock that off. And he wouldn't even because your your daddy, your granddaddy, would rationally look at the situation and be like, "Oh, that's not a Democrat," or "That's not that's not who I w- would have voted for." It's the parties have changed, so it's okay. And then we eventually voted him out, but. Took a while. And same thing with, with Jews voting for Democrats. I got no other answer. You got an answer? Why do Jews vote for Democrats? I think I just explained why people hate Jews. I cannot explain why Jews vote for Democrats. Hopefully, this has been revealing, just like it's been revealing for uh, Jews giving to universities. Right, A lot of Jewish people coming out being like, why am I giving tens of millions of dollars to Harvard again? clearly they hate Jews. Like, what are we, what's happened? And I, I asked that to Alan Dershowitz too. I said, what's up with Harvard? And he's like, oh, I've, I've abandoned Harvard. I've, I've left. Harvard has an extremely, at least, uh, quite, he, I think he said questionable relationship with Jews. Another questionable about it. They 
banned Jews from being in the school for a hundred years, hundreds of years. So it's not questionable at all. I don't know why Jews vote Democrats. If you have any ideas, I'd love it. Wonderful to talk to Alex Marlowe. Thank goodness, much to talk about. Here's Alex Marlowe, editor in chief of Breitbart.com. Alex, how you doing, sir? I'm doing great, Mike. Um, I hope you had a nice week. Uh, it, and uh, thanks to the whole audience who has supported Breaking Biden, made the New York Times bestseller list, which is oh, nice. kind of uh, shocking uh, in some ways because they don't like doing that stuff. No, um, they no, like no, to no. discriminate against conservatives. So they're a very corrupt entity. Um, but I will tell you, it's very helpful for getting the word out because a lot of people and, and my mother who works for us at Brightport News when um, she was just having a conversation with a friend who's a liberal yesterday and was kind of tuned out until she mentioned New York Times bestseller list. Then all of a sudden she back in. And that's just one of the realities. Yeah, we, we live with is that they cheat and their cheating delegitimizes our good work. So I uh, couldn't have done it without this audience, but there's a long way to go to get the messages in the book out. So if you're still sitting on the fence, uh, it really, really is the reset we need because Biden's going to beat us if we don't get these new arguments out. Um, but can I ask you about something you said, yeah, Mike? Please. You said Thursday's the best day of the week. Yeah, oh, yeah. Why? Oh, there's no question. Why? I, I want to hear. Not, you don't. You know, I, I love Thursdays. I've yeah. always loved. Well, well, but, but but I love the pre-end. The pre-end is you know lunch Thursday to lunch Friday. Like I mean, I think, I, I think yeah. the pre-end is a great time. But we're we're a long way from lunch Thursday. I mean, it's you know, oh, five you started, or five. In the you morning. started midday lunch. Thursday. Yeah, then it gets to be the best day of the week. Oh, yeah. I'm I'm Wednesday Wednesday afternoon is when I start because that's when you're approaching Thursday. <laughs> you're closest to Thursday on Wednesday afternoon. Yeah. So that, <laughs> that's what I said. Yeah. Um, it's the best because obviously everyone loves Saturday, right? That's yeah. obvious. Uh, so people are very excited about Fridays because it's the day before Saturday. But Thursday is the day before. <laughs> you, you get excited about Friday because it's Friday Eve. So I'm yeah. already, I'm already, we're there, man. We're there. We're just, we're just, we're almost at the finish line. So get excited now because it's so don't, you don't just be excited about Saturday on Saturday because then you've wasted the joy of the Saturday. So you get excited about it on Friday, but why not extend that one more day to the Thursday? I I have two, I have two analogies here. Uh, uh, One is I always thought Christmas Eve was the best day of the year. Bingo. I'm right with you. Keep going. And so, so, so here's one where you can help me with this because you have a little more parental experience than I have. So tomorrow, I'm the mystery reader at my son's school, at Master Marlowe. <laughs> okay. Are you going to read Breaking Biden? Which chapter from Breaking Biden are you going to? Um, uh, the Hunter Biden one, of course, <laughs> like the one where he, where where he's in the uh, hyperbaric chamber with Absolutely. his uh, white claw. Yeah, I'm going to read. I'm going to read that that section. Um, the um, the or, or maybe the art grift where he uh, paints with a cocaine straw. Um, yeah, you'd be like, you kids, that. you kids, listen, yeah. this artwork on the wall right now, it's good. <laughs> it's but good, really good. What you're really missing good. is the cocaine straw. Yeah, the, the uh, jack-o'-lantern you guys were drawing earlier. Like, that's that's <laughs> nothing. Check out Hunter. Um, the um, So so I, I'm on the fence about telling him I'm the mystery reader because I think he would love the anticipation of dad's coming to school, but it's supposed to be yeah. the mystery reader. So ah. it's the... So I, I it's uh, the, you, you may know this, Mike, but I've got a little bit of a anti-establishment streak. So I am willing to go against the recommendations and tell him <laughs> so he would have he would enjoy wow. it. But I, know, I, I think I, I, anticipation yeah. is most most of the joy of the thing. Yeah. Uh, we just had this. We were going to surprise my mother-in-law with uh, a vacation and there's going to be this whole, you know, blindfold or bring her down the whole thing. Right. And it's like, no, you, it's the month before the vacation when you look forward mm. to the vacation. I don't want to rob someone of that. And I think if you don't tell your son, yeah, maybe there'd be more joy in the moment, but I think you're, you're taking from him the excitement. And that's most of it. All right, but here's, here's a quick retort to that. So I'm with you on a personal level. 
um, my better half is doubly whatever you just said, just the okay. same intensity. It's the, yeah. she, she, she does not want a spontaneous vacation. She doesn't want a spontaneous present. She wants to build up to it. Totally loves all that. Um, but I think a, there was a study that came out. I wish I had it in front of me, but I, I didn't know this would be on the agenda, mostly because I've diverted the agenda, but I didn't know this would be on the agenda. There was a study that came out last year that the most fun things you do are spontaneous. And I found this to be totally stunning, but I've tried to pay attention um, to how much I'm actually enjoying stuff since I read it. And it does feel like spontaneous fun is, it's very good. It's, it's, it's good to do things spontaneously. So it's the, so maybe, maybe we've got it wrong. Maybe Christmas day is the best day, Mike. And me and you are just out to lunch. Well, there's, well, there's nothing spontaneous about Christmas day though. So, uh, the um, spontaneity wins. Spontaneity is good because spontaneity implies playfulness. And and that's what's good about it. I think it's the playfulness, it's the frivolity, it's the 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 just like the quick joy of the unexpected moment that occurs. But mm. it's play, and adults don't play anymore. Uh, some of my favorite times are when I'm just with with my my best friend, and we just like have a tennis ball, and we just figure out how to play a game in the park. Like we're like boys, you know. And adults is, don't is, do is your best friend a golden retriever? <laughs> Uh, I'll I'll let him know that uh, <laughs> he might he might, be, he might be. it's all pretend it's all in my mind anyway. Uh, yeah. There is no friend. Who am I kidding? Uh, <laughs> uh, but no, it's play. But I I think anticipation of of things is yeah. where the joy is. So that's why Thursday's the best. And Wednesday yeah. you just can't cut it. You can't. You can't. I can't get there yet. You know. Yeah. When, you know Wednesday can't be anticipation of Thursday yet. That's too far pushing it. Let's not be silly. Yep. I, I'm, I'm, I'm mostly with you. I just, right. I just start at lunch pre-king no, guy. <laughs> um, so I want to, uh, let's do a little, uh, back pattern here. Sure. Uh, Alex I was talking to Emma Joe yesterday and, uh, she mentioned how proud she is to work for an organization that does not rush to get there first as much as to get it right. And this Gaza hospital story could not have been written to be more revealing than it was. It's an absolute perfect story uh, in, in how it's just crumbled in front of everyone's eyes and how everyone just stepped in so badly and now has no remorse and in many cases is sticking with. Did you see the CNN headline? The CNN headline was um, uh, Gaza blast. So it's no longer a strike. It's now a blast. I don't have it in front of me, but the next line is um, Israel blockade hurting efforts to bring medicine onto scene or something. So it's still... Yeah. Israel's fault in it. What do you make of this? Right. Story? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think um, it's one of the most shocking moments of a shocking couple of weeks here. And uh, I, it, it is the only thing that's not shocking about it is anyone who has spent any time thinking about the way the American left operates. A uh, truth is not a left wing value. And uh, the, one of their values is making sure that they're able to use whatever megaphones they have to get out their agenda. Um, and so when you understand that, it, it becomes a little less stunning, um, but it is equally irresponsible um, what these entities are doing. The Ilhan Omars, the Rashida Tlaibs, the New York Timeses, all of these places. And uh, you know who's a part of it, as always, is Joe Biden. And uh, because Joe Biden does what the left wing base wants uh, and what he has done, he put up a story last night on his Instagram page. Uh, where he gives a statement, but I, I usually have it on mute. So I, I don't know what the video says, but I'll tell you what the caption is. I'm going to read this to the audience right now. I grieve with the families of those killed or wounded in the tragedy at the hospital in Gaza. We're working with our partners in the region to get life-saving humanitarian assistance to civilians in Gaza as quickly as we can. So, and he put this up, this is eight hours ago that he put this up as wow. we're having this conversation. Wow, this is this way is late last night. Late last night. So, so first of all, it's a tragedy, Mike. This is the same thing as a tornado. It's the same thing as an earthquake. Uh, this is not jihadis trying to kill other people and then killing the wrong people or killing their own people to elicit sympathy, which are the only two possible outcomes here. And the is, there's the only two explanations now. And, you know, we're talking over 24 hours later and the president is acting as if this is a natural disaster. And then he's it's not a tragedy. This is terrorism is what this is. And it's either terrorism designed to hit Israel 
and failed or designed to hit the hospital and succeeded to elicit worldwide sympathy, which obviously worked. That was the plan. That's it. And he, and he won't even say who did it. He does not note in this caption who did the terror. It's Hamas. He won't say it because he's a coward and he's afraid of his base. And he's afraid that the world community might not like something he did because that will create another bad PR cycle and his polls are too low for him to take a bold stand. So is they're all a part of it. Uh, the Black Lives Matters, the Talabs, uh, the New York Times is the Justin Trudeau's. And this is what creates a climate of violence around the world. This is what created that insurrection in the Capitol yesterday. Uh, this is what created the protests we're seeing all around the world that turn into riots. Uh, blood is on the hands of these people who lie. And I, I really still think the one that sticks out the most is the New York Times, which kept changing the headline to make it from Israelis to some sort of a neutral thing to, okay, finally we get it. Hamas did it. Uh, if you read... And, and it's sort of funny to do this because I wrote a book about where I studied the New York Times called Breaking the News. Um, but Mark Levin's Unfreedom of the Press goes into all of the New York Times' history of anti-Semitism. They've been doing this their whole history, this type of stuff. They've always had an anti-Semitic streak over there. And I update a lot in Breaking the News where I write about some of the anti-Semitic cartoons they put out. And then they fire people, but they don't tell you who they fired. So they don't really, there's no real accountability. Um, so th this is the nature of the way things work with the one Jewish state on the planet is you can do horrible stuff that hurts them and creates a climate of chaos around the world. But so long as Israel is the target, we all eventually just move on and we move on fairly quickly. Mm. And it is um, uh, one of the unfortunate things of life. The CNN headline I was speaking was hundreds likely dead in Gaza hospital blast as Israeli blockade cripples medical response. So wow. it's still Israel's fault. Wow, wow, okay, wow. So the, the Biden clip you shared is very fascinating because it was only a couple hours ago after everyone knows the truth now. I So, so right afterwards, or pretty quickly after, he wrote that tweet about how he was outraged and saddened. Yep. And I don't, outraged. Mm-hmm. Who, who are you outraged? Man. Right. Where is the outrage directed? Who did it? Who did the thing? Well, he then he, yes, and then he said, and you know, my team or whatever our our authorities are, uh, we're going to get to the bottom and find out what really happened. As it well, Israel's telling you what happened. Your ally, who you're on the plane to visit, by the way, told right. you what happened. So what are you, what are you doing? What are you, what are you needing to? What's what more do you need to know? And why would you say that publicly? That's bizarre. But here's what I want to ask you, Austin. No one knows this more than you. I have, have had a tendency to assume the best in people. Mm. Uh, I don't want to lose that. <laughs> as cynical as I've become about everything, I don't want to lose it. Um, so we were talking to Emma Joe yesterday. We were talking about this story. And the thing she brought up was this desire for clicks. right? And that's definitely a driving force. And that to me is um, that's more of a neutral thing. Right? I don't think you're evil if you have a desire for clicks. I don't think you're an anti-Semite if you have a desire for clicks. Right? And then I, I brought in the, well, they also, they, they must take the voice of the oppressed at all times. Yeah, that's right. All right, so that's a little, that's a little, I don't even know if that's anti-Semitic, even the, and the result might be, but that's not their intent, right? But it, it might be even more than that. And that's where I'm uncomfortable going to. I don't, I don't want to necessarily ascribe evil intent to something that can be explained through something less than. Yeah. It, so it's, it's a little more nuanced, but, but you've got it in the, in the ballpark because definitely I think that is where it starts. I think it starts with Israel's seen as oppressor and um, the, the Islamic states nearby. We're not even states in some cases are seen as the oppressed. Um, and I think that that is oppressed by the, you know, by, by the West, because we're all self-hating, all that stuff. I, I do think that's the kernel. I think that's where it starts. Um, but it does get more complicated than that, because I do think that, um, uh, if you want to be more charitable, by the way, it's just underdog. It's just like we root for the underdog. Israel's got, you know, a thriving nightlife and thriving tech community. Yeah. And uh, obviously, pound for pound, they're, they're the best military. I mean, it's a are, are we going to send all of our new transgender people that we're training? I'm, <laughs> I, I, I'm just making fun. I'm just making fun. We have some of the most <laughs> badass military people on the planet. I know they listen to the show and, and we love them. But it's the but it's the look at what we're doing. We have the Admiral Richard Levine, uh, who goes by Rachel. It's the we disgrace ourselves. 
Like it, yeah. it, it's a all we're intentionally disgracing our own armed forces all the time. And um, the, the, the this is the or it, the people who don the uniform uh, in public American life now. Lloyd Austin, uh, Mark Milley. I mean, these people stink. So it's the Israel doesn't do that stuff. So, you know, it's a people. The world looks at that and sometimes they root against it. But what the effect is, is anti-Semitism, because yes. to side with Rashida Tlaib, uh, who is clearly an anti-Semite, to immediately take the New York Times word for it, which is if you're an informed person, you know, they have a history of anti-Semitism. And it's not just a long time ago. It was recent. They recently had to fire people for anti-Semitism within the last few years. Um, and to not have the basic understanding that Hamas does this stuff all the time, where they put their military bases inside hospitals uh, so that uh, if they get bombed, then a bunch of civilians get killed, and so they win the news cycle, um, that they are not as accurate as the Israeli armed forces, so they often bomb their own people by accident just because, you know, it's all close quarters, and you got to be precise, and they're not precise. They're just a rogue, they're not even a real government. Uh, so it's so the mistakes happen. So, but people don't even take the time to understand those basics, and the result does have the effect of anti-Semitism. Even if every single person who holds those viewpoints isn't sitting around obsessed with the Jews, yeah. but as we know, anyone who spends five minutes online knows a lot of people sit around obsessed with the Jews because they're confused by why they have so much more uh, money and power per person relative to most other entities on the planet. And uh, for some people, they only see that as a bad thing because we're taught that. We are taught to hate the people that succeed. We are not taught the people that succeed. You look up to them. Uh, it used to be if you saw someone going down the block um, and they had the nicest car in the neighborhood, uh, I would think, at least this is what I was told, uh, you would be told to go see if you can get an internship with that guy. Like he knows what he's doing. Um, if the family is well dressed and everyone has manners, then you would think, oh, that that family has it together. Let's go hang out with them. Now it's the opposite. Now it's, oh, do you look down on me if you're like that? Uh, should I judge you negatively because you've had a level of success? That's Israel to the rest of the world. They're the size of New Jersey. It's they're in a sea of uh, of non-democratic entities that are all worse off. They're a democracy in the middle of it all. They defend themselves. They seem to have a good time when they're at relative peace, which they have been for a while. So people hate that. So, But the effect is the anti-Semitism. But I, you can't ascribe that motivation to every single person who's made mistakes here. But it, it is the same effect. I had a part two, but Sorry. I've been speaking for like four minutes, so I should. No, 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 no that's good. Uh, I, I, I want to get to that part two. Uh, so that CNN headline, uh, it's written by there's three people on the byline. One of them is Sana Noor Hawk, H-A-Q. So I looked her up on Twitter, uh, mm. and she has a Palestinian flag in her Twitter bio ah, as wow. a CNN writer. Stunned. I'm stunned. So, <laughs> so on this, uh, why people hate the Jews. So we spent the first half hour of the show on this topic. How about that? So, about so, so I have to clarify that um, uh, uh, Richard Levine is not armed forces. I, I'm, I'm making a tongue-in-cheek joke because because he gets to wear the uniform. Well, so I, I, I want to say that for anyone who's going to dunk on me on you know, they call him admiral. I'm, like how? Yeah. Like even yeah. like let's say he, you were named, admiral. If you were named that position, would you walk around with a uniform on <laughs> i'd be like all right people come on like i, I, I well I, this is where we're, we're gonna have to work on this because i'm i'm I, I i admit i'm not totally fluent on why the uh the you know surgeon general wears yeah the, you know the the wears the uniform but yeah, well, i, I like, will say I, I, i'm well aware that there is no uh richard levine has no say in what goes on in our military you know, <laughs> I but yeah. i will tell you that the uh of mark milley with his White Rage stuff and Lloyd Austin with all of his defense contracts, like all, all that stuff is just, just embarrassing. And they, they're, they're not good representatives. Nope. Um, and we are trying to transify our military, which, which debases us. Yep. And that does take away from, um, you know, the Green Berets and the SEAL Team Sixes and, 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 and the people who are go spend a lifetime becoming total badasses to make the whole country look good. And then we disgrace it with this other behavior. And I feel like those people are probably with me and probably fired up at what, what we're doing. Sure. But I, I can't speak for everyone. So we spent the first half, half hour of the show talking about why people hate the Jews, um, which is, uh, 
I guess risky at 5 a.m. I don't know. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. But but we went with it. And um, we had this clip from Thomas Sowell, which you just spoke to. And I think the answer is that um, they, not, they not only succeed, they succeed in a way which is the threat to the egos of other people. That is, no, 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 you can envy a Rockefeller, but he's no threat to your ego because you say, listen, anybody can be rich if he's born a Rockefeller. But the guy who c comes here, let's say, from Vietnam or Korea and arrives here with little more than the clothes on his back and a few wor broken words of broken English, uh, and a decade later he has his own little business, and you see his son a few years after that getting ready to go off to Harvard or MIT, you've got to ask yourself, you've either got to, you know, you, you, you've got to hate yourself for saying, my God, I've, I've been stagnating, this guy was nothing, and now he's risen up, or you're going to have to hate him. And most people, when they have a choice between hating others and hating themselves, they hate others. Great. He's so um, brilliant. He's so brilliant. Yeah. So here's the follow-up question. So we spent half hour on that, tried to do an academic and theological argument as to why people hate the Jews. But the question I don't know, and yesterday I asked this to Alan Dershowitz, and this morning we asked it to uh, William um, uh, Jacobson from Cornell Law School. Yeah, he's great. Uh, and now I ask it to you. And none of them had an answer, by the way. Both of their answers were, I don't know, was the answer. Or uh, Dershowitz's was, because they always have. Why do Jews vote for Democrats? Yeah. Okay, so wh why they vote for Democrats is a number of reasons, but a lot of it is that the religious Jews vote more Republican. But the problem is Judaism is not a problem. It's just a fact. Judaism is a, is, or being Jewish is not just a religious thing. It's a cultural thing. So it's a ethnicity and it's a religion. It's, I think it's unique in that regard. Yeah. Like I'm actually ethnically Jewish um, uh, because I was, I have a lot of Jewish blood. I think I have more Jewish blood than Catholic blood, but my Jewish side of the family was more secular. So uh, when my mom who was raised a Jew and my dad who was raised a Catholic got married, it was natural I would be Catholic, even though my dad actually had a Jewish grandparent. So technically, I got, I, I'm, I'm a Jew technically by ethnicity, not by practice. There's a lot of combinations of that around the world. Um, and the ones who practice are more conservative, just like any religious group. I mean, they, they just get more conservative pretty much with you know, maybe a couple of odd exceptions, but for the most part, that's how it goes. So, but the secular Jews, it's about being secular. It's the main thing is the secular people vote Democrat. Uh, and it is the more secular you get, the more likely you're going to be Democrat. I think it starts there. Um, and then it, it gets more complicated. I haven't really contemplated this question too much in recent years. And um, there's a lot probably people who thought deeper about it, the Dennis Prager's of the world. Um, but I do think it starts with religious Jews are actually not always voting Democrat. Secular Jews uh, quite often do. Uh, Jews also congregate, I think, in uh, cities a lot, and cities tend to be Democrat. It's another yep. cultural thing. It's another major cultural factor. Like in L.A., uh, where I grew up, where I, I was stunned to learn how few Jews there are on the planet because I grew up around just you know 40 percent of the school is jewish and and i was like really this, this is like a third of a percent of the world like like really it's not 40 percent it was very odd to me when i figured that out um and you know it's a one-party town that has been forever so the idea of not being a democrat in a place like la is is just it's just very odd it just you can't you can't do it it's it, it i mean i can do it but it's most people can't um so it's a it, it's one of those things where uh, this is not a Tom Sowell answer. This is a, he would have a much better answer, but I think those are a couple places to start. Yeah, no, I just can, uh, can you this, add it's to a me? secularization of it, which which ties into Prager. Um, so I also talked to Prager yesterday, and he said it's uh, if you don't hate evil, you will not be strong on Israel. And the Democratic Party, and more as you said, the secular part of our yeah. country, regardless of whatever your ethnicity is or whatever, has has left hating evil and now embracing evil. And therefore, just the end result of that is has always been uh, hating the Jews. That's just <laughs> part of it. At the end of at the at the end of that road. Yeah. Um, let me ask you a big question, Alex. Uh, this this come up a couple times uh, because we're now. I think Israel's waiting for. By the way, Alex Marlowe, editor in chief, Breitbart.com, breaking Biden by the book. What, you're like a couple weeks late, but it's okay. Plenty of time to to still get it and get it higher. No, up it's New gonna York be Times relevant until so. the election, and I think more relevant. So yeah, so get it. Listen. Don't worry about it. You're not too late. And, yeah. Um, so uh, I think Israel's waiting for all the dignitaries to leave before they start 
whatever they're going to do in in Gaza. And I don't know, maybe Biden talked him out of it. And, and now the prime minister of England's there today. And I don't know who's showing up tomorrow. But I, if, if they're wanting to get on with it, I, I bet they're sick of uh, house guests coming over. Um, but we live in an interesting era where back in the day, on one extreme, if you wanted to defeat the enemy, you would kill everyone. You would kill all the men and children and you'd take all the women and you would burn the village to the ground and you would salt the earth. And you would then win. So you had 100% civilian casualty, but you would win. Now we're in this era where, as you, you wrote on Breitbart.com, Kirby says we expect zero civilian, or we, what's the yes. word? I keep forgetting the word. Very we good catch. Zero civilian casualties. So it's like, okay, but you definitely can't win. Like there's, you can't, like there's no war on that extreme. It just can't happen. So you got to be somewhere in between. How should one think about that? How, sh- how should one proceed in a war in that paradigm you can't you can't it's it's, this is it's it's such a good i love this because the shows how close mike reads so i put up an article at breitbart yesterday which i should have plugged um about all the ways joe biden has harmed israel um and the it i listed 12 there's probably more but it was i think i got my point across and the 11th item on the list is telling israel that only zero casualties are acceptable in the war against terrorists um, which is what um, uh, uh, which is what Biden's aide John Kirby told reporters, and that that is literally Mike like saying uh, you have to make an omelet without cracking eggs. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it is you, it can't be done. It's just one of the side effects of of war. You can't you want to keep them to a minimum. We all want to keep them to a minimum, but first of all, it's impossible. Second of all, the Biden administration does not give a crap about this. They droned a car full of children in Afghanistan and fired no one. Not one person got fired after they essentially murdered children. Uh, so, so they don't care. They're, tr- incre- they're creating an impossible standard to give themselves an out if they want to pull back or if they uh, feel like they're getting squeezed by other international they're not allies but people who they're scared of overseas Uh, it's all just manipulating and it's totally dishonest because you can't do it especially when you're when you're dealing with people who literally use human shields and the human shields thing it sounds like a conspiracy but it's not when you see the logic behind it because the what happens you see how the media reacts when jews kill anyone innocent they didn't kill anyone innocent in the hospital the Hamas terrorists did that, but the Jews still got blamed. And so that's what the media does. And it's not just Al Jazeera. It's the New York Times and the Associated Press and half of our Congress, including Joe Biden himself, seemed like a little wishy-washy on it. So that's why they're setting it up. This is a setup. It's all a big hoax. The Biden administration doesn't really believe that. They're saying it because they don't like Israel and they haven't. And they're trying to make life difficult for them. So do not do not be fooled. The proper number of civilian casualties in a conflict like this is zero. The proper yeah. number. Wow. Yeah. Um, that article is uh, uh, all the ways Joe Biden has harmed Israel. It's on Breitbart.com. You can click it there. Uh, last question for you, Alex. We'll get, let you get started on the uh, the best day of the week here. Uh, tonight, Joe Biden is speaking to the public, right? So this is like a nationwide address. Is this going to be on all the network TVs and everything? Is this like one of those? Um, I, it's, it's, I, I don't have it in – I don't have it – in front of me exactly how it's going to be broadcast. And I'm sure the producers can grab it for you during the break. But whenever Joe Biden speaks, it's always interesting because as I note in Breaking Biden, he's got a fastball and he's got a unique skill and that he has this ability to talk to everyone as if they're trauma patients. So he can speak to the world in a way that they he really can be convincing that he feels your pain. Mm. Um, and he has honed this over time, and he also has a lot of lived experience. Again, as I document in Breaking Biden, I think all this stuff is really important to understand him. If we're going to beat him, we you can't dismiss him. He's been president. He's been elected for 50 years. So there's something about the guy that some people like. And one of the things is this thing, and I think it comes from his lifetime of enduring tragedy, first losing his first wife and daughter and then losing his son to brain cancer. Uh, he, he's dealt with some real trauma. And I think he has a way of talking to other people who are dealing with some things where he feels empathetic. Now, I don't think it's genuine necessarily, but he channels something. Uh, and I'm interested to see if he's able to pull that off because that is a gear he has and it always surprises people. Um, but he's got another gear, which is our favorite gear, 
where he sounds like a total idiot, and that's always amusing also. So um, <laughs> I, 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 the first gear you spoke of, is this the appropriate moment for that tool? If he can arsenal? pull it off. I mean, he's 80 years old. He, he obviously doesn't have a normal brain. Uh, but yeah, but th that's going to be the goal. And let's see if he can do it. The problem is, is that this one is a black and white issue. There, it's not, this one, there's not a lot of nuance here. Um, They'll find the, it. The, 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 the only thing that you could have any nuance about at all is the open questions about how Israel missed the attack, which is still shocking and kind of hard to bring up at this point. But, but how, um, and you know, Joel's done a good job sort of answering it. But this was the initial question that everyone in my life was asking me. And the only person I feel like who's even attempted to answer that is Joel. Um, uh, Joel Pollock, of course, uh, at, at, at Breitbart hosts the Sunday show. Uh, here on Patreon, um, but the uh, it's a, no one's answering that question. But other than that, Mike, there's no nuance here. It's Israel got attacked, and now they're going to have to push back to some degree. That's it. That's where we're at. So it's the how he's going to try to make it so that he doesn't alienate the terrorists, which he's going to try to not alienate terrorists because he does that stuff. Um, I'd be very interested to see how he pulls that off. And my bet is he doesn't. My bet is it comes off bad. Mm. So I don't know. Did you see the clip of him on Air Force One yesterday? No. Uh, was he was he falling over? Yeah. So uh, he was upright, but uh, it's a very interesting clip. And because it, so when you see Joe Biden, he he looks frail. And I'm I don't want to lean too hard into this because your book Breaking Biden is all about hey, don't only focus on the fact that he's old. He's also all these other terrible, awful things that are much more important to focus on. That is true. Also, he's very, very old. And I've never seen him look this frail and weak. And and I, part of it is, because I'm going to Lubbock, Texas next week, and I'm like not looking forward to the flight and the hour drive, yeah, and I'm going to be exhausted. Right. You know what I mean? He's 80, and he flew to Israel. Like that's a long yeah. thing. So I, I, you know, I'm not being mean. It's just the reality of it. But he walked out of. Or he's, on, he's on Air Force One, and he's wearing a, a zip up sweater. And he, it just, you look older with that. Like well, at least when you're wearing a suit and tie. <laughs> that's a good call. Yeah, know? that is. And, and, you know, he's very well tailored. So that's sort of surprising to me. I haven't seen. Yes, I've never photo. seen him not in a suit and tie. Yeah. So he's a yeah, zip up yeah, sweater it, and his hair is kind of combed in a weird way because he probably just woke up from a. I don't know how they do it. Right. It's, just, it's a very weird look. It looks like he's in a nursing home more. And he had a really tough time speaking. And I'm not being mean because, again, it's I, I would, too. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be off a Southwest flight and I'll have a tough time speaking. The, the show will sound weirder on Friday when I'm like, like half asleep uh, and I'm not even changing time zones. But it looks different. I don't know how it's gonna how he's gonna come across tonight, even just being old. Yeah, very odd. Um, you know, I agree with you. Why he's gaggling in his sweater? Uh, yeah, this is. I've pulled up the photos. I mean, yeah, it does look like he's getting ready for bed here. Which is <laughs> uh, smart people when you when you fly private. I've not flown a lot of private, but Air Force One's essentially like that. It's the the the. But I I've done it enough to know that the the real pros. Um, they're, they're PJs. Like you're in the PJs, like you get it because you're, you're not wrinkling your stuff. And the more you sleep on the plane, the better it is that you get worked on wherever it is you're going. So that's the, that's the, so, uh, but you know, he's president of the United States. So you should probably grab the jacket before he starts talking yeah. to reporters. So yeah. yeah, he does this stuff. He, I, I don't make the case in the book. He's a genius. I just make the case that he's smarter than we think he is. Um, and he's got a fastball. So it's a, so don't be confused that he's not capable of doing a really stupid press conference without getting his hair straightened up in, in a stupid sweater. <laughs> like he's very much capable of that, Mike. I, I don't want to act like he's, I'm not acting like he's, you know, George Soros, who's, yeah. you know, clearly a 200 IQ guy and is using it for evil. Like it's the, no, it's a, he's not, he's not that, but it's, um, you, you're right about he's, this is an exception that proves the rule also because he's more conscientious of optics than we give him credit for also that he's always well tailored like he's not just in a suit he gets good suits and no one points this out like it's a huge part of how he pulls off his act is he embodies traditional masculine characteristics when he presents himself to the world never discussed we never talk about this it's part of why he gets away with so much crap yeah i'm looking at pictures of him and, and uh, netanyahu yesterday yeah, you're right. He looks sharp. He looks sharp and uh, easy does. to be deceived. Uh, Alex Marlowe, Mar always looking sharp as well. Check out that mustache, ladies. Come on now. Breaking <laughs> Biden, exposing, and men, exposing the hidden forces and secret money machine behind Joe Biden. His family is administration by it right now. Breaking Biden. Thanks, Alex. 
Mike, always fun. Thank you. Appreciate you, man. Have a great Thursday. I'm American made. I got American parts. Thanks for listening to Breitbart News Daily, the podcast, full show on Sirius XM Patriot every day from 6 to 9 Eastern. Uh, we'll talk about the president's address tonight, of course. <clears throat> also, uh, I want to present a story from the Six-Day War in Israel, 1967, that uh, clearly clearly example, uh, demonstrates two, two paths forward. And you can decide which is the more noble, which is the more practical, which you should do, and which one you would do. You know, tomorrow, probably 7 o'clock on Breitbart News Daily. Spread the word.